Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 35 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today, I'll be talking to Masters runner and American age group record holder, Tom Bernard. Before we get to that, though, let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. This week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete is someone who has found ultra running to be a therapeutic journey for her. Let's listen to Steph Eldor tell her story in her own words. My name is Stephanie Eldor and I'm 43 years old. My favorite sport is trail running, uh, specifically distance running. So my favorite race distance is 50 milers. I first got into distance running um, when I was, it was kind of a pivotal time in my life and uh, there was a lot going on in my family, and I received this letter in the mail from the Leukemia Society asking if I was, would want to train for a marathon and raise funds for the Leukemia Society and, and go to Honolulu and run a race. And I had never run further than eight miles when I received that letter. And for some reason, I decided that's what I needed to do. So um, I was in college, and it was hard to raise $3,000, but I managed to do it and uh, flew to Honolulu with my mom. And uh, when I finished that marathon, it, it changed my life. So I started, and back then, I mean, I didn't have much money. I was kind of on my own. I was just getting into teaching. So I started by just running, I'd pick one marathon a year, and I would go pick one and, and go run it. So one of my favorites was Newport, Oregon. It was beautiful. And I did that one a couple years in a row, and um, I did the Seattle Marathon because they were all pretty close to me, and uh, I could manage to fund my way over there with a beginning teacher salary. And then I was at the Seattle Marathon, and I was running by someone that had a Marathon Maniac jersey on, and we just got to chatting, and I asked what that was all about, and she told me, oh, I just ran a marathon yesterday, and she told me about all these races she had done, and I just thought it sounded inconceivable. Uh, but, of course, you just start pondering and thinking about all of these things. So I looked at what it took to become a marathon maniac and uh, decided that's what I needed to do. So um, my one of my good friends and I ran the Newport. We ran the Coeur d'Alene Marathon, and then a week later we ran um, – the Newport Marathon, and so then I became eligible to become a maniac. So that was exciting, and at that point, I was at about 14 marathons total, and um, that was spread out over quite a few years. Uh, so I was going to run my 15th marathon in Missoula, and uh, and I had just been married for a couple years, and when I was at, in Missoula, I got really sick during the race. I thought, oh, no, what's going on? Um, when I finished and I found out two days later that I was pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> so I thought, oh, this is going to kind of slow down my running. Um, but truly just 
being just happy and married. And then in 2009, my daughter was born and I just, from then on, just started running a lot. Um, my husband and I, in 2010, started putting on races up at Priest Lake, Idaho. So we have uh, six different events that we do, uh, ranging from 5Ks up to 50Ks. And I started running about a marathon or an ultra um, almost every month for a while. And it just kind of, at that same time period, um, I was losing my mom to dementia and I just needed to run a lot. <laughs> so I went and did some hard races. I ran the White River 50 miler. That was probably the hardest 50 mile I ever did. And um, I started, I did the trail rail 50 mile. I just started picking different events and just going out and seeing what I could do. And it led me to signing up for my first couple hundred milers. I did my first one in 2015 in Renton, Washington and uh, truly thought was the hardest thing I've ever done. And then about five months later, I did the Havelina 100 miler. And so those are the only 200 milers I've done. But it's it's been a definitely a, a therapeutic journey for me. I love uh, trail running because it has offered me a lot of therapy throughout the years. I first got into running when I was in college, and uh, I just needed an outlet and. It was my way to work through some issues that were occurring in my family. And as the years progressed, it just became something that helped ease all of my worries and, and stresses. And um, it's helped me through a lot over the years. And I actually don't know where I'd be without it. Um, my advice to people who are just starting to get into running um, on trails is to go to just a, a local event and try out you know, maybe even a 10K trail run and just start talking to people. Um, I think the, the more events I went to and the more people I met is when I really became inspired to see how far I could go. And uh, truly standing at the finish line of an ultra event is where I became most inspired. Um, I went down to Havelina to run my first 100K in 2014, and I stayed up all night watching 100 milers come in and I was crying with people just watching just the, the passion and intensity of all of it. Uh, the minute I left there, I had to sign up for my first 100 miler and it, it was truly incredible. My name is Steph Eldor and I am a seasoned athlete. If you'd like to tell your everyday seasoned athlete story in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me slash everyday and tell us a little bit about yourself. And now it's time to meet this week's featured seasoned athlete, Masters runner Tom Bernard. Hi, Tom. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm great. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? I'm ready. Hopefully I'm able. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take it one step at a time. How about that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you are Tom Bernard of Castro Valley, California. You're a husband, father of two adult children, and you're a master's runner. You currently hold four men's 65 to 69 American age group records, the one mile, the 5,000 meter, and the 10,000 meter on the track, along with the 5K record on the road. You're a four-time road runner of the year in your age group, once in the 55 to 59 age group, and once in 60 to 64, and twice in 65 to 69. And you've won the Masters LDR Grand Prix two times, once in 2015 in the 60 to 64 age group, and once in 2017 in the 65 to 69 age group. Is there anything vital, personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you would like to take a quick moment to fill in? Well, it, you know, I started very late. 
in running. And uh, my first race as an adult was at age 45. So <laughs> I got into this very late, but really uh, took to it. And during the course of my career, unfortunately, I've had a lot of injuries, a lot of surgeries, and it's really taught me um, persistence and uh, stick-to-itiveness because I've had to come – would obtain a very good level of proficiency, get injured and essentially not completely start over again, but have to uh, pretty much reinvent myself as a runner several times. So it's taught me patience and persistence, I guess. Yeah. And I definitely would love to get into that. And I think a lot of people listening could probably relate to that. I can relate to that personally. It's just always so frustrating when those injuries happen and you're, you know, you're fired up, you're pumped. And then you have to take a step back and take care of it. So uh, definitely look forward to talking about that. Uh, so you talked about how you didn't get into running until you were 45, which I think that's another thing our listeners can definitely connect with. Because I think people definitely, I think their ears perk up when it's when it's not a story of a lifelong runner or a lifelong athlete. Because it's like, okay. Maybe it's not too late for me. Um, but let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, did you play any sports growing up? Were you athletic at all growing up? Or was was age 45 your first step into an athletic realm? No, I, you know, in, in high school, I was five foot six, weighed about 135 pounds and had no speed <laughs> or jumping ability. So most of the sports really weren't, you know, I, I just, you know, obviously the NBA was not a career choice. Um, I did run track my senior year in high school, but we had an absolutely terrible team and nobody ever practiced or did anything. So um, I kind of, as an adult, got into running uh, via somewhat circuitous route, but I had no idea that I would be any good at it. Yeah. Yeah. So in high school, it's like you were too short for the basketball team. You were too small for the football team. Um, your team, your, your, your school wasn't good enough for you to use running as a path to anything necessarily. So it looks like you were kind of, you know, you, you took a backseat at that point. But let's talk about that circuitous route to running. So how did you find your way to distance running? Well, in my in my early 40s, um, I had started work with a new company and uh, we had a very impetuous president, and he went out and bought a, a lifetime gym membership, and of course he never used it even once, <laughs> and he he just gave it to me, and I ended up started going with another boss three days a week and doing aerobics. Well, I did that for three years, and at the end of the three years, I had lost nothing. I mean, I, I still weighed, I, I'm five foot six, I weighed 170 pounds. At the end of three years, I weighed maybe 167 pounds, maybe it was a little fitter, but I thought this is just kind of a waste of time. So I decided to keep going to the gym, but to just exercise on my own. And I would do like 25 minutes of weightlifting and then 25 minutes of an aerobic exercise which eventually became running on a treadmill. And that actually started to work for me. So I went from going to the gym three days a week to five days a week to seven days a week. And then I started losing weight and getting a lot fitter. So after about a year or so of that, I, 
I was actually down to 140 pounds and, and, and getting fitter. Wow. Um, then the company that I worked for, and this, this was, you know, back in the mid nineties went out of business. There was a recession then. So I got, I ended up getting a new job in San Jose, uh, for a company, for a Unisys, a computer company. And I couldn't go to the gym anymore at lunch, obviously, because I was, wasn't even close to my gym. So somebody said, well, there's a nice trail out here and we'd like to run. And you, you said you wanted so a friend of mine said, I told him I was looking for a place to run outside. So I started running at, at, at noon at lunch and did that for a couple of months. And somebody says, well, you know, you should run a race. And I went, oh, Wow. I never thought I <laughs> literally it, it had not, not occurred to me to, wow. to run in a race. So I thought, OK, and I did a little reading up and studying and I found out there were age groups and all that. And I was about to turn 45. So I looked up a, a good race to run after I turned 45. And it turned out there was a 10K race uh, at what used to be the Moffett Field Naval Air Station, which is in Mountain View and it's where NASA has their research center is a big, and I was in the Navy there. So, and the race was called run the runway and a significant part of the race, you're actually running down this part of the runway that was over a mile long and, and then you finished. And so anyway, I, I did the race. My goal was to run in under 40 minutes and I ran a 38-28 and came in third in my age group. And I thought, well, that's this is pretty cool. Maybe I should do this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, not too bad at this, as yeah, it turns you out. Know, so it was, it was fun. I got, a, I got a medal and all that stuff. So I thought, this is cool. So I did a couple of more races that year. I ran a 5K and then uh, I ran a half marathon on um, the following Super Bowl Sunday. And I ended up getting hooked up with a uh, a running team, and uh, I started working out with them, doing a track workout once a week, and and doing stuff. And and uh, I, I improved very rapidly uh, during uh, this would have been 1997. And in September 97, I had reduced my 10k time from 38.28 to 34.48 wow and then i um ran a, a good half marathon and then i tried a marathon that year uh which was the full marathon experience including slamming into the wall at mile 23 and the whole <laughs> bit yeah uh so i had improved very much and had had started running uh, in USA track and field races here in Northern California. We have, you know, USA track and field is divided into associations. And in Northern California, we have the Pacific Association, which is the the largest uh, association in the country in terms of membership. And um, I made a lot of improvement and was doing well and was was looking forward to the next year. And then, of course, because I, I hadn't been running very long and I was basically pretty ignorant, uh, I did a lot of stupid things and got hurt. And, um, one of my first races in 98, I actually 
tore the plantar fossa in my right foot completely. Wow. Uh, I had gotten a pair of orthotics from a podiatrist and didn't realize that you weren't supposed to wear these orthotics while you were racing. Yeah. And I just uh, completely um, destroyed the plantar fascia in my right foot and had to wear a boot for 12 weeks. So I, I had essentially about a year and a half of running before my first serious injury. Yeah. Um, so anyway, by by the end of 98, I, I kind of was getting back into shape again and, and, and going into, you know, and was able to sort of keep going at a fairly, fairly decent pace. Um, and at that time, you know, for, and, you know, finally when I turned 50, I started actually winning races in my age group within the association the Pacific association has a, has a grand prix of road races Mm -hmm. and there's very, you know, it's very well organized and there's team competition, individual and all that. And I started winning races in my age group, which was, you know, felt great. Um, but you know, I, 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 I'd go for a couple of years, get better and get injured again. And then that, that's just sort of continued on for a while. So, um, when I got to be 55, I actually, I started winning national championships. I won my, my first national championship in, in 96 on the track at the USA masters track and field champs. And then the next year I won a couple, I won two that year, won two the next year. And then I, I won, uh, a, a road national championship down in Paso Robles, which is, um, down by San Luis Obispo mm-hmm. and um, won a road championship there. So with each five-year age group, I got more and more competitive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people talk about, you know, is it nature or nurture? Are you a natural athlete or do you get it by hard work? I think when you're a master's athlete, you have to add in a third factor is as you get older, how are you deteriorating? Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was lucky and I was slowing down at a slower rate than my peers. So people who used to beat me easily when I was 45, I was now beating them when I was 55 and I, you know, getting more competitive. So they were, they were deteriorating faster than you were. Like you, you somehow managed to kind of keep your level up as you moved into those different age groups more proficiently. Exactly. And I, I don't know, um, in, in masters running, especially for road running, we have a thing called age grading. Yeah. I don't know if you're okay. I, I just, I just talked to a runner who kind of gave me a very basic understanding of the age grading, but feel free to explain it. Cause I don't fully understand it. It's actually something that I'm heavily involved in. Cause I do rankings for USA track and field for masters runners. So I've, I'm, I'm heavily involved in age grading, but basically what it is, it's a statistical method that allows you to compare performances by the same runner at distant distances by different runners at either the same or distant distances. Um, and you can even compare people would like to know, say, okay, I'm 45. I ran a a 38 minute 10 K. How does that compare with what a 22 year old did when he ran a 32 minute 
mm-hmm. 10K. Is my performance as good as his, taking into account that I'm, you know, 23 years older or something like that? So it allows you to compare those performances. And, it, and it's based upon uh, statistics, a statistical database that has been developed over the years by uh, particularly a guy named Ken Young in the American Association of Road Running Statisticians. So they, they have a database of all the top performances for every year at every distance. And then they, they basically compute a curve that best fits the data. So it, you can go on the web and say, well, you ran this and you can see what your age grade was. So is it based on like kind of averages of what that age group is coming in at? It's not averages. It's based upon the best recorded performance at in a particular distance by a runner of a particular age. So for men, they'll have the best performances by a 40 year old, 41, you know, and what even goes into juniors. I mean, it, it's not just a master's thing though. It's, it's more used for masters yeah. because it, it has a bigger effect. Sure. So my age grading started to get better and better as I, as I advanced in age and, went into new age groups and and so you can you can you can use age group your age group to compare yourself to your peers am i how am i doing in my five-year age group you can also use age grading to compare your performance to anybody's performance though i i don't i don't people really shouldn't compare men's and women's performances because they're based upon two different sets of data sure so they're not really you know but I think it, it, it's gotten to the point where it's accurate enough that it's, it's, it's a good legitimate way of comparing performances. And in terms of national championships and things like that, the highest amount of prize money is paid for the best age grades, not for the winning your age group, for example. Right. Because because the age groups, as you get older and older, they off the field often get smaller, right? Just by virtue of people retiring from runnings, taking a step back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the competition just by nature gets smaller, but the age grading that can kind of level the field all the way around. It can. And, in, and it's just a matter, you know, for example, in, in my age group, 65 to 69 in the, on the men's side, it's not a, a super strong division on the women's side you've got about four different runners who hold world records all in that same age division. So you could have an age division that's just absolutely stacked and you have world-class runners uh, in good numbers. Other age divisions, especially when you get older, may not be so much. Now, obviously, you know, in the 40 to 44 and, you know, up through about 50 or so, it's very competitive. And then people start retiring from the sport. So, you, you you do certainly have attrition as you get up into the higher age groups. So I want to go back a little bit. Um, when you first started in the very beginning, the early years, especially that first year and a half or so before your first injury, like were you, was there any sort of real formality to your training or were you just kind of like, I'm running, I'm just going to run because I like running and I'm losing weight. And then kind of racing happened. Uh, at what point did your training get more formal? Well, it, it did. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. And, you know, um, so I started reading some books. And back then, probably the biggest book was Jack Daniels, 
the the Daniels formula. And back then there wasn't, you didn't have the internet uh, as a source that you do now. Uh, now there's like too much information because you read 10 different things that are successful for runners and they're all, they're all different to read to each <laughs> yeah. other. Back That's in true. the 90s, there were only a few sources of information. So you assumed that there were only a few ways of doing it. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I, you know, I, I basically started basing after um, the, the, that team that I had run for basically broke up and I was running on my own and then I ended up joining another team. But uh, using that as uh, the Daniel sort of as the, the framework, I sort of use that as the foundation of most of my my training and, 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 and it's still a somewhat over the years I've learned more and I've, I'm essentially self coached now, though I, from time to time, I've gotten some coaching help in the past. Um, but today I can understand that it, it would be very, con- it's very somewhat confusing because now you can go on the internet and you can, you know, find out what worked for this runner and what worked for that runner. And this guy's got this method and this guy does this kind of training and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of overwhelming. It can be. Yes. You kind of have to figure out where you want to put your trust when, it, you know, for people who are just starting now and really go, trying to be serious. Uh, it's like, where are you going to, who are you going to put your trust in and just kind of go all in on that in a way, because otherwise you'll be trying one thing and then you'll go on the internet and it's like, Oh wait, no, that that's all wrong. Or that's going to injure me or, you know, and it's, it can be, I agree with you. It can be overwhelming for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's not like, I, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while now. I think I realized there's no such thing as a perfect workout. Uh, and what works for one person may or may not work for you. But there are certain principles, I think, that, that you can go by. And if and if a workout sort of falls within that set of principles, you know, it's probably pretty good. Um, but, you know, you have to see how you react to that kind of training as I said, some people, for example, I'm, I'm not a high mileage runner. I'm not somebody that goes out and runs 70 miles a week. I've never done that. I mean, okay, once in my life, I ran like 79 miles in a week and that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was training yeah. marathon. But, you know, some people are very durable. They can go out and just log the miles and they don't get injured and they just keep going like the uh, you ever ready rabbit. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> some of us are a little more uh, prone to injury. So my coach back at one time says, you've got a great engine, but you've got a crappy chassis. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And, yeah. you know, and maybe, maybe he was right, but you kind of learn what works for you. And, um, but at the other hand, you should always be open to acquiring new information and looking at things because, I, I, whatever you do that's new is going to stress your body in a new way. And when you find new ways to stress your body, it, 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 it has to be beneficial. Yes. So even, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, then your body can do that. But you need to introduce new types of challenges and stresses to your body. So you'll have, um, be healthy 
and strong and have a good core and all the other things that you need to really be a good runner. Just going out the door and running a lot of miles is beneficial, but you need to, to do other things as well speed work and things like that. Let's talk about that for a bit. So tell me a little bit about your training regimen, what it looks like now and, and how it's evolved for you over the years. Well, I think I, I, I've come to the, a training program should hit. I think one, you have to do some long, you have to do long runs because you have to build up your body's infrastructure, your mitochondria, your, your connective tissue, your heart rate, you know, all the things that your cardiovascular system needs and also your muscular system and that. So you need to do those long runs in. So that should be a priority. You need to get adequate rest, especially as you get older. You, you're you not going to be able to run the mileage. You're not going to be able to run as many hard days as you get older as you did when you're younger, simply because you're older and your body's more fragile than it was. But you do, I think, at least for me, I think I... I I'm not doing track work at right right now, but I'm going to start doing some track work a little later on in the season because I have some um, real racing goals that I want to accomplish this year. But uh, I can't run fast unless I do speed work. Now, I, I do track workouts, and I also like to mix some fart lake in um, with my regular runs. So I think, you know, the long runs, the speed work, strength work, and that comes from things like hill repeats and, and things like that. Also, uh, core core work on your body. That, that helps you maintain your form, especially in the latter part of a race when you're tired. If your form breaks down, you become very inefficient and you're going to slow down a lot. So you need to work, make sure your body is, is strong and healthy as a whole and then work on specific strength things that you need as a runner. Um, and and also the infrastructure and the other things. So if you take care of those priorities, then how you do each one is not necessarily that important as long as you take care of it. So the kind of track workout, different coaches have different philosophy, people do different things. Uh, I think you have to find out what works for you, but don't be afraid to try something new because that's going to stimulate your body and stress your body in a new way and make some part of your body that maybe wasn't that strong before because you weren't stressing it. Now your, your, your strength is more across the board and you, you prepared it more thoroughly down the road. And that's, you know, it's, it's those little things that make the difference between a runner, say like a Meb Kaflesti who, you know, very, systematic and, and working and make sure he takes care of all the little things. And then the end that adds up to, uh, to, to being able to perform well on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take a look back. I want to take a look at your, the entirety of your racing career. Um, can you take us back to your, what you would call your worst race or your worst competitive moment, your, your worst day? as it were. Well, I would say when I tore my plantar fascia in the middle <laughs> of a 10K race and had to look back three miles to the starting line was not a good day. Not a good day, no. Um, I, you know, the only race, well, other than that, the only race I ever quit was the last marathon that I started. And it was just, 
a horrible, horrible day. It was part of a horrible weekend. And I just, it, you know, it, it, I, I don't know why, but it was just one of those things. It just was not my day. And the wheels fell off at about halfway through and I was raining and the weather was off and it was just absolutely miserable. But in terms of like the bad race experiences, those are probably the, the two that stand out. But just in terms of my career, you know, I was very excited when I turned 60. I wanted to go after some American records. Um, and unfortunately that, well, I was very excited because, you know, there's the, there's an organization called the WMA, which is the world master association. And they're the, the governing body for worldwide masters track and field. And they have world championships every other year, outdoor world championships every other year. And, and in, uh, 2011, the world championships came to Sacramento and I thought, well, this is just absolutely fantastic. How convenient. 60, the world championships are just up the road. I got a chance to win some gold medals. This is going to be wonderful because normally the world championships are held in August. My birthday is July 9th. It's absolutely perfect. Well, the world championships were held at Sacramento state and they have a football team and the football team says, no, no. <laughs> you have to have this meet in early July because we need the field for our football practice. So they moved to meet the meet to start on July 6th. And the rules are that you have to run under the age you are the first day of the meet. And since I was 59 years, 362 oh. days, I had to run as a 59 year old. Uh, even though I was 60 with all my races. So that was my first disappointment turning 60. And then uh, um, out of the two races I did there, I, I did, I had a horrible 5,000 meters, but I set a, a, a personal best in the, the 1500. So at least that was the good part of that. But um, I got to one, run exactly one road race as a 60 year old, and then uh, I found out I had a torn meniscus in my right knee. So uh, after that one road race as a 60-year-old, I had to have my knee operated on. And then the next summer, I had to have my uh, Achilles tendon on my left leg operated on. I, I had a thing that's called a Haglund's deformity, which sounds pretty horrific. But sure does. Basically, it's just a bone spur in the back of your heel, and it was really irritating my Achilles, so I had to have that operated on. So when I had the meniscus tear, I couldn't run for four months. I had my Achilles operated on. I couldn't run uh, for three months. I said four, four weeks I couldn't run with the meniscus. Then I was off for 12 weeks for that. And in February, the year after that, I got a stress fracture in my right foot and had to have a screw inserted. So within, you know, about two and a half years, I had three significant operations. So my 60 to 64 age group was pretty much <laughs> wiped out. All this excitement for turning 60 and, and then all this happened. Finally got healthy again in 2014. Uh, I had a pulled muscle that year, but that was it. So 20, half of 2014, I was healthy. All of 2015, I was healthy and started you know, 
<laughs> getting back into the scene and running national championships and winning my age group. Um, and, and that was very, uh, felt very good that I'd come back from all this, this, right. All this stuff that, that kind of squashed almost an right. entire age group that you were in. Exactly. Yeah. So with all these injuries that you had and you had a lot in a kind of a short span of time, uh, what, what advice do you have for other older runners to potentially avoid injuries or get through injuries and get back to fighting shape like you have? <laughs> well, I, the, the best thing, well, you know, some injuries can be avoided and, and maybe some can't. I, 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 I can only say for the injuries that I had, the meniscus tear and the Achilles injury. I don't know if there's anything I could have done to have prevented those because one was just because my body had a bone spur. The other one just kind of came out of the blue. The uh, stress fracture was, I was uh, pretty sure that happened because I was doing some beta testing for new balance for some new shoes. And I, I was tried out a pair of shoes I shouldn't have worn and I ended up getting the stress fracture. But I would say from an injury standpoint, the biggest piece of advice I would give a runner is follow the own advice that you would give your best friend if he had the same problem you had. Because if your friend says, oh, my Achilles is bothering me or I should do this, you'd tell him, well, back off for a while. You yeah. know, you wouldn't say walk it off and just get right back to it and suck it up like like we often do for ourselves. Take the long term view. But when it's us you know, we have our goals that we want to accomplish and we have our ego that we want to soothe. Mm -hmm. So we don't take that advice and, you know, we keep going. We think, oh, well, I'll just go through it. And of course it gets worse and, and you make it worse and, and things get really bad. So I think if you can kind of step outside yourself and look at your situation objectively as you would if you were giving a friend advice you could probably avoid, if not necessarily the injury, some of the repercussions that come from the injury that are that are going to keep you from competing for a long time because you just make it worse. That's some of the best advice I've heard, honestly, because it's it's simple, but it's like it's so true that we 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 would tr we would give our friends advice and then we the things we wouldn't do like we don't take our own good advice. We yeah. don't take our own good advice. It's always about that ego. It's always about getting back out there. It's always like, I can suck it up. I can work around it. I can, I can walk it off, whatever it is. And, and that's how we just keep, you know, re-injuring ourselves. And so giving the advice that you would give to your best friend, you would never tell a best friend to suck it up. You would tell them to rest. You would tell them to take care of themselves. So listening to your own advice that you would give someone else and, and treat yourself as if, you know, you, you say, uh, you go do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Well, this is reverse. <laughs> do unto yeah. yourself as you would do unto others in this exactly. particular case. So good advice. So we talked about your worst days. Tell me about your best day, your favorite race, your best moment out on the track or on the road. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've set some records in that, but honestly, the records weren't necessarily the most satisfying races I've had. Sometimes, uh, I think one of, one of the races that, that, that meant the most to me that I really 
just felt wonderful about was uh, the uh, the national championship 12K back in 2015. Uh, now, as I said, I, I had a very good year in 2015, and uh, actually even won won some decent money. Um, but I'm more of a 5K, 10K guy, or even a 1500 through 10K guy. And um, I'd done a lot of racing in 2015. I had just done a 15K in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was the first 15, the longest race I'd done in a number of years. And that had come out fairly well. And I was supposed to do this 12K race two weeks after that. Well, in the in the two weeks between those races, I um, was doing a renovation in our house. So I was doing a lot of physical work, which was beating me up. Uh, my wife and I went to visit our daughter the week before the race. My wife and I went to visit our daughter in Colorado. So I couldn't run for several days. So I came into this race, um, with very low expectations. One, I had been at a peak for four and a half months and the longer you're at your peak, the more precipitous the drop when you come off of it. Uh, so one, I didn't know how fit I was. Two, it was kind of a long race. Three, I was kind of beaten up and I didn't know what was going to happen. So um, as it turned out, uh, the race, which was in Alexandria, Virginia, was on an absolutely gorgeous course. And this was one of the few times where the Masters Championship and the Ocean Open Championship were combined. So we had all the elite runners in the same race, and they took off a few minutes before we did. So it was an out-and-back race, so we got to see them on the way coming back. It was a gorgeous course, very flat. Um, I think there were only five turns in the whole 12K course. And... Um, it was kind of it was at the end of the year, so a lot of people who run that sort of Masters Grand Prix circuit that I knew, and we were all kind of running together, and just a whole big group. And basically, I started off as a very good pace and was able to keep it, and I just felt absolutely great. And after about eight k, I started picking it up and picking it up, and passed a lot of people, and um, you know, really ran. It was the fastest 12K I'd run in about 12 years. And the race went really well, and I ended up having the highest age grade of all the the men in the Masters race. So uh, I won that championship, and it was just the whole race, everything about that race was just a wonderful experience. And I far exceeded my expectations as to... Um, what I, what I would do in that race. And it just, I think more than anything, it's not, it's like our expectations control a great deal how we feel about the outcome of something. I've, I've gone in and, you know, I've, I've set an American record, but I wasn't happy with the race. I could have uh, paced myself better. I could have done this better. I could have done that better. If we have a race where we really execute the race well, and by that I mean just basically running the, the absolute perfect pace that's going to allow you to finish in the best time, which, is, you know, with Jenny Athlete and Runner knows is, is not an easy thing to do, um, 
but when you when you when you get it just right, especially at an event that you don't feel that's your strongest and you really have a strong performance, it it's really satisfying because I felt there was every reason in the world for me not to do well at this race and I was able to have a great race and it it, it, it meant more to me than other races where I even went out and say broke an American record. Yeah. You're not the first person to say that, to have that perspective where yeah, I've talked to other runners who've broken records and and they they don't call those records their best race um even if multiple records are broken in a race that's like no that that wasn't my best race because i didn't do as well as i wanted to do in that particular race and right. so it sounds like you, you have a similar story where uh, a it's like y- your favorite race it's a combination isn't just you going out and breaking records but it's a combination of how you did and the total experience of the race that kind of elevated it in your mind. And then also just like you felt better about your performance than you expected. Like you said, when you exceed your expectations, that'll color your whole view of the experience. And so it sounds like that race was sort of the perfect convergence of all of that. It was, it was, it was just everything about it was worked out beautifully. And, uh, you know, right after that race, uh, a few weeks later, I ran in the, the, the national club championships cross country and between that 12 K and the cross country race, I definitely fell off the peak. <laughs> <laughs> I had, uh, I just, you know, I, I think I, you know, I, I came in like seventh in that race. And with the exception of like two people, everybody who beat me, I had not beaten me all year long and they all beat me in that race because <laughs> I just, you know, you can't hold that peak forever yeah. when you lose it. It it can be pretty big. Yeah, yeah. Big drop. As I, a lot of people I talk to, it's like I ask, you know, or I talk about, hey, you reached your peak. And they're like, oh, I hope not. Because if you reach your peak, you fall off. Yes. So everybody doesn't want to feel that they have reached their peak. So. Right. So, yeah, you've had that experience, but it sounds like you have a you have peaks and then you fall off and then you get right back up there eventually again. And that's kind of right. the constant flow of that. So um, what I want to talk about now is, you know, I often when I talk to to older athletes, we talk a lot about the challenges that older athletes face, like the need for increased re- recovery time and and, uh, you know, really, really knowing your body and understanding and respecting your body. But would you find there's there are things that get easier for you as a master's runner as you get older? Well, I think, you know, you've done it a lot. And so sometimes when things go don't go as you hoped, you you perhaps have a better perspective than a younger runner would, because, okay, you know, sometimes things don't go, but further on down the road you know, you, things work out in your favor. So I, I think it's hard. I mean, obviously, you know, you'd like to have a, I mean, those of us who run and do it, we, we love it. And it's, it's, it's not just a sport we participate in. It is an activity that we want to continue as long as we can, because it has all these ancillary benefits for our health and our mental state and everything else. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I hope I can keep running for a long time, but you know, I, I've had, I had to have another uh, knee operation right after I turned 65. So it happened to me again, but, uh, right now I'm, I'm very healthy. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of in a build up phase. I'm going to start racing, uh, seriously in a couple of months. 
Um, so the, the fact that, you know, I've had all, a lot of setbacks, uh, and I've been able to come back from them. Um, you know, if you're younger, that first setback may seem overwhelming because you haven't experienced it before. But when you're old, <laughs> you're like, this is old hat. Lots of things. So, <laughs> yes. I, you know, there, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and you just have to sort of keep that in mind and realize that it's a process. You have to go through all the steps to get from, uh, you know, injured and unfit to uninjured and fit is a process and you can't, you, you can't hurry it up. You, you can, you know, kind of work around certain things, but eventually it just takes a certain amount of time and effort and you have to commit yourself to making the effort. Um, it gets a little hard the fourth or fifth time it's happened, (laughs) but you have to think about the benefit. I mean, you know, lots of runners run for lots of different reasons. Uh, those of us who are serious competitors, we train to race. So race, it's all about racing and running, you know, performing well and, and, and doing all that stuff. And, you know, the, the training has its own benefits for our lifestyle and all that other stuff. But really the end goal is the training is so we can go out and, and beat other people in a race. And, you know, um, as long as I can keep doing that, I'll keep racing. And even probably when I can't do that, I'll probably still run because I, you know, I, I love the benefits of, uh, of the training and what that does for you as a person, both yeah. physically and mentally. So it sounds like the, the benefits kind of come from a experience, just having lived through what you've lived through and be kind of being able to take a, like take a step back and take a long view at everything. And, and as a result, you don't beat yourself up quite as much as a younger runner would. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, like some days, you know, I mean, running is our hobby. Uh, it's not, it's not my profession. So, you know, life sometimes interferes with running and some days it's like, I can't go out and run today. I've got, I've got to do this or that. And it's like, don't, if, 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 in terms of my training, if I covered my priorities, then I'm, I'm okay. And some days it's like, you know what, this was going to be an easy day. It's going to be a real easy day because I can't run today. So it's going to be a rest day. So as long as I, I, I do the important hard stuff, I don't, I don't worry about sort of the, the easy days so much. If, if, if I, if I can get in a run, great. If I can't, it's okay. I still got the main things done. Right. So it's not going to ruin you. It's not going to ruin your next race. Like, exactly. To, to take one, that day, one off. day isn't going to, you know, you're not going to go to become a couch potato in one day. Yeah. So you have to balance doing the work necessary to accomplish the goals you want to accomplish with the fact that you're older, you still have things in life you have to take care of. So you have to try to balance and I guess that's the most important part, finding that that right balance between giving the thing you love as much time and energy as you can, but don't be frustrated by external things over which you may or may not have any control. Yeah. yeah. Just go with the flow. Go with it and do what you can under the circumstances. I like that. Yeah. 
because we all have lives. We all have responsibilities. Most of the people I talk to on the show are not professional athletes. They have responsibilities, jobs, family, uh, things like that. And so you have to find that that middle ground where you can really push yourself as a competitor, but still stay true to the other aspects of your life that require your time and energy. Exactly. So let's talk about your goals for this year. You said you had some goals. What are those goals? What are you looking to accomplish? Well, uh, as I said, 2017 was kind of a lost year for me. As I, I, I had my knee operated on December 2016, so I started the year out of shape, and I, the training, because I had all these goals I wanted to accomplish then, I sort of screwed up my own training and tried to do too much too soon, and it really wasn't until the latter part of the year that I went back to my old kind of training and, and finally ran better, so in 2018, I want to do some of the things I was unable to do in 2017. So um, there's a, definitely going after the 8K and 10K road records for my age group. Um, if I have the opportunity, I'd like to go after the 12K as well. And then on the, the track... Uh, my 10,000 meter American record is really awful. <laughs> it, it was just, I wasn't in good shape, but it was a soft record. And I thought, well, I can either do a track workout today or I can run this race. So I decided to run a race and I broke the record by about three or four seconds. I was in shape in 2016 to probably break the record by over two minutes. Mm. So my, my goal this year is to run both the 10K road and 10,000 meters on the track in under 37 minutes for each. Awesome. Uh, and depending, I, I would like to go to the Masters World Championships, which are going to be in Spain in September, and hopefully uh, finally get the elusive 1,500-meter record, which I'd, I'd love to get, and uh, see if I can improve upon my... 5,000 meter record. So I'm a very, very, you know, I'm basically looking, hopefully get like four or five or six American records this year. We'll, we'll have to see what happens, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going, it's pursuing goals that, that, that keeps you motivated and, and going. And, yeah. um, I, I, hopefully these are realistic goals. So, um, I, I feel good at least about my chances for getting at least some of them. So I'm, yeah. I'm very psyched up this year, which is nice. Um, I'm healthy and, and hopefully getting fit and um, mentally, hopefully up to the challenges that I'll take to, to go after and break these records. Yeah. Well, and I love hearing about that, about these goals that like, they're obviously bold goals, but maybe not for you. Maybe these are actually like everyday goals for you. But, uh, you know, it's so cool to hear that. And I think everybody has, you know, it's good to have goals and it's good to have bold goals as they relate to where you're at, you know, whether it's a personal best in a race or a PR or for you, you know, breaking a number of American records. So it's always good and it's inspiring 
to hear someone like you, you know, talk about these these goals that you have for yourself and going after them. And I'm certainly excited to see, you know, what you do this year. And, you know, now that you're a guest on the show, I follow all my guests. So <laughs> so I'll be following I'll be following what you're up to and, and reporting on it. So. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for you. Best of luck for that. Um, before we go, uh, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners today? Find your passion and pursue it with enthusiasm. When I was in my early 40s, I was very depressed. I was working at a job that was really hard and so much stress. And basically, I discovered exercise as a way. I mean, to me, exercise was a way of breaking up the day and just forgetting about all the stuff I had to deal with at work and other places and just concentrate on being physical. And I think I discovered the pleasure I got from doing physical things. And that led me to find the physical thing that I was best at, which turned out to be running, which earlier in my life, I had no inkling whatsoever that I had any talent in this area. So find your passion and pursue it with enthusiasm and let that bring a lot of happiness into your life and share that happiness with others. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Um, and the fact that I, another relatable moment for a lot of our listeners and for myself as well, I'm 43 years old currently. And I, I found fitness several years ago, but I wasn't active growing up. I wasn't, I never played sports or anything like that. And I, I found sports and activity in my late twenties, uh, playing roller derby for a number of years. And then that has transitioned into obstacle racing for me. That's my passion currently. And I pursue it with enthusiasm. Um, and, but I, what I like about what you said is that you just started with exercising. You didn't start running thinking I'm going to run road races and track races and I'm going to break world records well into my sixties and who knows beyond. Like, I'm sure that never crossed your mind even once. But you just found the joy in how exercise made you feel. And then that led you down a path where you could kind of discover yourself as a runner. And, you know, I'm sure you think about younger you from time to time, how younger you would think about you now, you know. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, what? What are you doing? That's crazy. Because um, I, I think about that a lot in regards to myself. So, but when you find that passion and pursue it with enthusiasm, it, it can change your life and can bring you so much joy and, um, and, and lead you to, you know, living a long, healthy, active life for years and years and decades to come. So, um, thank you for sharing that. I, I was trying to write it down, find your passion and pursue it with enthusiasm because just the way you said it is perfect. And, and I think, I think a lot of people, hopefully people listening can, can relate to that and connect with that. So thank you. My pleasure. Finally, if someone wants to learn more about you, is there a way they can do that? Well, uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not that active on social media. I mean, I have a Facebook page, but I just, it doesn't interest me that much anymore. Uh, so what I, you know, if I do something significant in a race, I'll usually post it up. I, what, one thing that you know, uh, very active in the, in the master's grand prix circuit. And there's, there's a guy, a friend of mine, his name is Paul Carlin and he writes a blog called the running professor. 
And he's also a colleague of mine on the Masters LDR Executive Committee, where I, I do a lot of volunteer work for them. Um, and he covers the Masters road and cross-country circuit quite thoroughly. So you could, and, and last year I, I did five races in the, in the Masters Grand Prix and was fortunate to win my age group in all of them. Uh, but Paul does a wonderful job in covering that Grand Prix, not only writing about me, but all the many other people who participate. So people can um, learn a lot about that if they're interested. And, you know, the, the Grand Prix is in cities all over the country. And, and I would highly recommend that, you know, people think, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not that good. I'm not competitive but if you go in on a team you may help your team score and it's such a wonderful experience i mean people who normally start competing in this grand prix really get addicted and like it because you know you it's a group of people you see you know from all over the country but you get together for these events and you renew old acquaintances and you you get to you know pit yourself against your peers and in a competitive situation so it's a lot of fun so Probably that would be the best way because honestly, I, I don't do that much on social media anymore. Okay, and do you know the the address for that blog? Just therunningprofessor.com. Perfect, awesome. I'll put that on the show notes for this episode as well, so that okay, people, if you hear this, go to the website and uh, and you can get you can check out therunningprofessor.com from there and learn more about the Grand Prix, which now I'm super curious about it too, because I'd never heard of it before today. So I'm excited. Well, Tom, thank you for being on the seasoned athlete podcast. I love your story. I love that you didn't get started till your mid forties and look at how far you've come. And you gave some great advice about dealing with injuries, recovering from injuries. It sounds like you do have a lot of experience in that area, (laughs) but you have a lot of advice to give in that area. So um, thank you for everything you shared. And I'm excited about your goals for this year. I'm excited to see what you do. And I'm excited to share that with the seasoned athlete audience. So thank you again for sharing your story with us today. It was my great pleasure. And thank you. All right, seasoned athletes, before we go, here are my top three takeaways from Tom Bernard. Number one, when it comes to injury recovery, take the advice that you'd give your best friend if they were in the same situation. We often let our own ego and desire to get back out there override our true best interests when it comes to long-term injury recovery. When injured, think about the advice you give your best friend if they had the same injury. In short, take your own best advice. Number two, To get from injured and unfit to uninjured and fit takes time and it takes effort. You can't rush it. You have to commit yourself to making the effort and you may need to be patient when injuries recur, but you have to remember your why, what keeps you motivated so you can stay the course and make your way back to where you want to be. And number three, find your passion and pursue it with enthusiasm and let that bring happiness into your life. And when that happens, Share that enthusiasm with others. Thanks again to Tom Bernard. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. All right, friends, I have a really big favor to ask. I need your help to get the word out about Seasoned Athlete. How can you do that? It's really easy. Just share. 
Share it with your friends, your family, your network, or anyone you think might benefit from the stories told by the incredible athletes featured on this show. Send out an email, share on social media, or sing our praises from the mountaintops. The more you talk about Seasoned Athlete, the more people we can reach, inspire, and motivate through this show. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your help. And while you're at it, follow us on social Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Or if it's you, tell us all about yourself. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.